Welcome to the Potter's House podcast. We pray that this week's message encourages you. If you'd like to learn more about the Potter's House, you can visit pottershouse.org. You know, there's unbelievable seeing people that think we talk about the love of God too much. Love is what compelled him. Uh, Y'all don't want to talk about it this morning, do you? I see how it's going to be. I said love is what compelled him. People say we talk about his goodness too much. We need to talk about his wrath. Yeah, we need to be in balance. But the Bible said it is the goodness of God that draws men unto repentance. Not the wrath of God. Not the anger of God. The goodness of God. And how much better can you get than to send your son to die for a people who are stubborn, hard-headed, stiff-necked, and yet you still love them. I said, I'm thankful for the love of God, that he loves me. Amen. I want to remind you before we get into the word, if you have your Bible, you can go to Psalm 139. Can I just get a touch more on these monitors? Psalm 139, verse 13 is where we're going to be, but I want to remind you that tonight uh, we will begin hosting the Ohio Church of God camp meeting. Uh, tonight starting at 6.30 and then Monday through Wednesday at 7. Uh, we're going to be hosting pastors and leaders from around our state for services and for training. Uh, and so again, tonight starts at 6.30 and uh, to- tomorrow through Wednesday starts at 7. I also want to say we're honored to have the brand new state youth director for the state of Ohio, Max Reyes, here with us. We let him know we're honored that he has joined us this morning. In Jesus' name. Help me pray. Father, I thank you for what you have done in this room. I thank you for your presence that I feel near and close today. I pray that as we entreat your word, that you would speak to us and that you would encourage us, that you would lead us and guide us. I thank you today that men and women, sons and daughters are going to leave this room leave this room understanding where they are in the process and we give you honor in jesus name we pray and everybody said amen and amen i want to speak to you on the topic today patience for puzzles patience for puzzles look at somebody next to you and tell them i've got patience for puzzles now half of you in the room just lied (laughs) i've got patience for puzzles Psalm 139, verse 13. For you formed my inward parts, and you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. And then Ephesians 2 and 10, I'll read it, you can mark it later. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In them. I am of the belief that if you read your Bible, you will see great men and women were born for the time they were needed the most. Great men and women were born for the time 
they were needed the most. I'm also of the belief, as I look around the church landscape today, that we are in dire need of people who are unapologetically and authentically themselves. Unapologetically and authentically, not just themselves, but the version of them that God created them to be. I want to talk to you today about patience for puzzles. You know, back when we were under the COVID lockdowns and staying home in the evenings, you know, my, my five-year-old daughter, she loves doing puzzles. I don't know where she got it from, but she loves doing puzzles. She can do 100-piece puzzles all by herself, you know, 50-piece puzzles. Then she's got the little Toy Story puzzle that's like 10 pieces. That's my kind of puzzle. <laughs> That's my kind of puzzle. But when we were staying home in the evenings and she would do puzzles and we put the kids to bed, my wife and I, if you don't know anything about us, we are competitive. She is more competitive than me. <laughs> she just mouthed, that's not true. It's not. But I have the microphone. So we, we would compete against one another. I will talk about that later. But as we were going through that, I... I the Lord began to speak to me concerning puzzles. Now, some of y'all are like, can God do that? Yeah, he can do that. He began to speak to me through puzzles concerning the life of the believer. Now, how many of you understand that when you are born, your parents don't get one of these? They don't get a puzzle of your life fully put together. This looks like New York sometime in the 70s or 80s, and everybody knows what this is. This is God's anointed. God's anointed. Somebody get some duct tape for Pastor Joel. It's an Alabama fan here in Ohio State. What's wrong with him? But how many of you understand your parents... The doctors, you didn't, you didn't come out of your mother's womb and the doctors say to your mom, we got a gift for you. It's exactly what your child's life is going to look like. You didn't get one of these, but this is what God sees. God is not surprised that I wake up every day. When God sees me, he sees this, fully put together, understanding every piece, where it fits, how it fits. Unfortunately, at some point in life, this is pretty much what we get. We got a, a preview of what's in the box. An understanding of what the box might, what the puzzle might look like when it's put together. But it's just a box. And, and double unfortunate is that when you open the box, this is what it looks like. You don't just open the life box and all of a sudden the finished puzzle comes out. Well, it's all the pieces. This particular puzzle is 750 of those pieces. 
750. And, and the word to describe going from here to here is a word called process. Everybody say process. To get from here to there is called process. Now, before I, before I begin to completely get into here and dig my teeth in, I've got to help you understand, number one, the proficiency of God. Everybody say the proficiency of God. If some of you need a, 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 a thesaurus, I am one, okay? Basically, what I'm trying to tell you is you've got to understand the knowledge of God. And I am a thesaurus because I can open up my phone and go to thesaurus.com. What I'm trying to help you understand is the knowledge of God. Somebody say the knowledge or the proficiency of God. So we look at our theme text of Psalm 139 and we see that first off, God created me. He created, he formed me for you formed my inward parts. This word form means to create, to bring forth, or listen to this, create an object of a similar kind. Create an object of a similar kind. So when God created me, he was creating me like him. Come on now. He made me like him. What did the Bible say in Genesis 1 when the council of God was having a meeting? They said, let us make man what? In our own image and in our likeness. I was not just created as some blob of cells that just originated somewhere I was made in the image and the likeness of God I was created in the image and likeness of God so that in my life I would take on the attributes of God his peace I have it because I was made in his image his love I have it because I was made in his image his dominion is mine because I was made in his image that's why the devil can't stand believers, because when he looks at us, he sees what he once saw. He looks at me and he sees God. And he's reminded of the access that he had in, in heaven to God. And now he sees God in his image, warring against him in the spirit. So number one, I was created by God. He, he created me. Then number two, he covered me. Everybody said covered. Verse 13 said, you covered me in my mother's womb. This word covered means to weave or to knit together in the womb. Jeremiah 1, chapter, uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, he said, Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I knew you. Can I, can I help you understand something? The pieces of your life are known. He, he knows you. He knew you. Jeremiah 12 and 3, but you, O oh Lord, know me. You see me. Test my heart toward you. The very first uh, verses of our theme verse, Psalm 139, verse 1 said, Oh Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path, my lying down, and are acquainted with all of my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, oh Lord, you know it all together. Now, I read Jeremiah 1, verse 4 and 5, and it, it got me 
feeling really, really like I wanted to just take a lap and, and run around. Because it did not say, I formed you and then I knew you. He did not say, I created you and then I understood you. No, he said, before I formed you. I knew you. Before I created you, I knew you. And I, I know about me. I don't know about you. But I'm thankful that I serve a God who knew the very details of my life from day one until I die. And he still decided he was going to form me. He still decided he was going to put his hand on me. He, he knew when I would rise. He knew when I would fall. He knew when I would run. He knew my failures. He knew my sin. He knew the things I would struggle with he knew the storms I would go through he knew the pain that I would entreat in my life and yet he still formed me he still created me he still put his hands on me and a word for somebody in the house I serve a God who is mistake free he has never one moment in his life in his being made a mistake God did not see you come out of your mother's womb and say whoops I shouldn't have done that no he he saw you come out of your mother's womb and said I fearfully and wonderfully made them and I see me in them you're not a mistake the devil cannot give life only God can give life and if God gave life then there is purpose behind your life the scripture said in Jude 24 now unto him who is able to keep me from what stumbling now, why is he able to keep me from stumbling? Because before he formed me, he knew me. So he knows that before I stumble, I'm getting ready to stumble. And he's there to catch me when I fall. David said in Psalm 94, 18, when my foot would slip, your mercy, O oh Lord, did what? Held me up. Why? Because before he formed me, somebody just shout, he knew me. He knew me. So I'm created, I'm covered. And now when I come out, and even before I came out of my mother's womb, I was caught in his eye. Psalm 139, 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw, everybody shout saw. So he knew and he saw. Your eyes saw my substance being unformed. And in your book, every one of my days were written before there was one of them. Our frame, our puzzle was not hidden from him. What we would be, where we would go, how we would become, wasn't hidden from him. Before I ever was, he already had a landscape for me. He, he saw Psalm 17, 8, keep me as the apple of your eye and hide me in the shadow of your wings. God didn't just start seeing you on your birthday. He saw you in the state where some people think it's not a baby. 
He saw you in the state where some people say it's okay to kill it because it doesn't have life. I got news for you. Before I ever had a heartbeat, I had life. Before I ever took a breath, I had life. And my life was not found in the doctor pulling me out of my mother's womb and checking my breathing and making sure I was okay. My life was found in the courts of heaven where there's a book written for me where my name is found. And all my days have been fashioned for me before there was ever one of them. One. I was caught in his eye. He's had me in his eye from the beginning. We sang about it earlier, Luke 12, 6 and 7. Jesus said, he said, are these sparrows sold for two pennies? And the father knows every single one of them. How much more are you worth than all of these sparrows? And Jesus said, I even tell you the number of hairs on your head are numbered. Numbered. So, so, so I start with that knowledge. That he knows me. He, he sees my frame. He set the boundaries of my life. And it would have been nice if God would have handed my mom and dad one of these. Y'all, do y'all agree? Would have been nice. But instead it feels like, instead it feels like they got this. Somebody's cleaning that up, not me. I'm just kidding. I'll clean it up. But instead it feels like they got this. And sometimes when you graduate out from under your parents' care and covering, it feels like you get handed this. God, what am I supposed to do with this? How am I supposed to make sense of this? I looked. The pieces of a puzzle don't have a name. Now, somebody tried to make a name up. It's not going to fit. It's not going to work. How am I supposed to know which piece goes with which piece? How am I supposed to know how each piece is going to fit the purpose of my life? This is where, because I I started with God's knowledge, because if you don't know that he created you, and you don't know that he knows you, and you don't know that he's watching you, you will go through this next part and feel like he doesn't care. I know he created me. I know he covers me. I know he's watching me. So now I enter into the process of God. Everybody say the process of God. We have the proficiency of God and now the process of God. Process, like puzzles, requires something of you. They require something of you. The first thing that process requires of you, number one, is submission. Everybody say submission. Submission. If you don't submit your time, your efforts, and your energy when you are sitting down to do a puzzle, 
you will be broken within minutes. If you think you're going to put this puzzle together in less than an hour, first off, that's got to be some sort of world record. So let's get Guinness here. Let's try it out. But you will find yourself mentally, emotionally, physically weary, wounded, and broken. Submission. Romans 12, you've heard it. If you've been here any amount of time, you've heard it from this pulpit. Romans 12 and 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. We're not going to go very far, but that you present. Everybody say present. Present your body a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Be not conformed to the world, but transformed by what? The renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. I want to focus, though, on the first part of verse 1. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present. Everybody say present again. Present. This word present means to hand over, submit, or listen, make available. Make available. So, so let's walk through this. Number one, submission is a choice of trust. Everybody say trust. It's a choice to trust. Job 13, 15 said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Uh, we know that Psalm 125 and 1 said that they that trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abides forever. Then probably the most famous passage on trust, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Nahum 1 and 7 says he knows those who trust him. In submission, in trusting, I am confident in his ability to finish what he started. I'm confident that God is not going to get up from the puzzle too soon. And so I've got to trust, 2 Timothy 1 and 12, Paul said, I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until the day of the Lord. Can I help you understand something? God cannot keep what you have not given him. If you haven't given him your children, he can't keep your children. If you're still trying to hold on to them, if you're still trying to to, to make them live right, then there's going to come a point in time. You're going to be so frustrated because there comes a point in time when your children become adults, they've got to make the decision for themselves. But if I give them to the Lord, he is able to keep what I give him. If I give him my worry, he's able to defend me. If I give him my anger, my doubt, my fear, my anxiety, he is able to defend what I give him. Are you with me this morning? He's able to defend what I give him. And so the problem is, is that so many people are sitting at the table attempting to put their own puzzle together. Attempting to make the pieces of their life fit what they desire their puzzle to look like when God is the one who crafted your life he is the one who gave you life and he is the one who has seen the end from the beginning so you have got to submit out of your hands into his that takes trust secondly that takes humility 
that takes saying, God, you know better than me. I, I practically don't understand how we could come in here and sing the heavens and the earth are the Lord's. You know, we could quote scripture. But we have a hard time admitting that God knows better than we do. We could say that with our mouth. We have a hard time admitting that with our life. Oh, it got real quiet in this Pentecostal church. We have a hard time admitting that with our life. That we want to keep relationships that God is trying to remove. We want to keep money that God is trying to tell us to give. We want to keep jobs that God is trying to remove us from. Come on now. And, 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 and so humility allows you the opportunity to be led. James 4 and 6 says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5 and 6 said, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Humility allows you, again, the opportunity to be led, but the problem is many want to lead, not many want to be led. Not many want to be led. My ability or my fruit, my effectiveness as a believer is not found in how many scriptures I can quote and how long I pray. It's found in how I'm led by the Spirit. They that are led by the Spirit are called the sons of God. If I am led by the Spirit, guess what? Reading my Bible and praying are natural fruit of being led by the Spirit. Because why would the Spirit lead me away from His Word and away from communion with Him? He wouldn't. So you've got to be led. That means you've got to get in the back seat, not the passenger seat where you can still reach over and grab the steering wheel, the back seat. And if, you're, if your life has many rows, get in the very back seat and tell the Holy Spirit, I am willing to be led. I don't need to be in the front seat leading. I don't need to be in the, in the driver's seat driving. I am willing to let you take the lead. I'm willing. Number two, it says, says to submit. Then it says to make available. If you, if you are going to, if your life is going to become everything God has designed you to be, you've got to be available. Mm. Because as long as there are available vessels, oil flows. God, I'm convinced of this because I've seen it. God will take less talent for somebody who's available. He'll take less charisma and use it because they were available. He'll take less abilities and use it because they were available. There are so many people that say, I want to be used of God. I want God to use me. I want God, but you're not available. You're busy. You're not in the house of the Lord. Y'all don't want y'all to like this gospel. Not in the house of the Lord, not available, not giving your time. What makes you think that God is going to call you to preach if you can't read your Bible? What's going to make you think that God's going to call you to prophesy if God can't even get you to pray? It's, it's because we're not available. Availability attracts the oil of God. 
God told the prophet to tell the woman to go get vessels, what God was saying was, you need to go find availability. Because where there's availability, there's oil. Come on now. I don't know. I, 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 I come to this place in my life long ago where I, I just can't settle with just being a bump on a log. God created me for more than that. God created you for more than that. But you've got to decide, I am not going to settle for a half put together puzzle. I'm not going to settle for broken pieces that don't make sense. I'm going to chase God. I'm going to pursue God. I'm going to submit to God. And I'm going to make myself available to God to be used. Because I was made for this moment. That's awfully prideful. I was made for this moment. You were made for this moment. How much do you think God has to trust us to allow us to live in this time, in history, right now? Don't miss the moment. I was made for more than church. I was made for more than the routine of church. I was made for more than, than, than the, the organization of church. I was made to affect darkness. I was made to tear down strongholds. I was made to take light into dark corners and light up the night. I was made for this moment. You were made for this moment, but you will never step into the way God wants to use you if you're not available. Then he said this. It was third definition of that word is to hand it over. Hand it over. I, I, how many times in life have we been in the process of God trying to figure out, God, what's my destiny? What, what are you calling me to? What are, you, what are you trying to do in my life? And, 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 and you're like putting the pieces together. And then all of a sudden life comes over and just. A storm comes. Trauma comes. And, and you're left having thought you had an idea of where you were and how God was going to do it. And now you're left picking up the pieces. Anybody been there? Picking up the pieces and, and, and trauma and pain pushes you to your knees as you're trying to gather all the pieces up to get them back in an organized state so you can find yourself back in the plan of God and, and, and the word see a lot of times because we are so bent on works-based salvation we feel like we've got to put it back together but the word says hand it over the pain the turmoil the storm the trauma the struggle the rejection the anger the father issues, the mother is handed over. Why? Because he knows what he's doing. He, he wastes nothing. And when we see P 
pieces all over the ground and we're trying to collect them and gather them back up. God the Father is still sitting at the table and he's saying, just hand it over. Because I am confident that he is able to keep what I have committed to him. You got you to hand it over. And, and, and so now, you're in the process of God through submission. And the second thing that process takes is patience. Everybody say patience. Patience. This word patience is defined in the encyclopedia of the Bible. The ability to take a great deal of punishment from evil people or circumstances without losing one's temper, without becoming irritated and angry, or without taking vengeance. It includes the capacity to bear pain or trials without complaint. The ability to forbear under severe provocation. The self-control which keeps one from acting rashly even though suffering opposition and adversity. Patience. Everybody say patience. Can I help you understand there are three thieves of patience. Three thieves of patience. Number one, the, the first thief of, of patience is comparison. Everybody say comparison. Comparison will kill the work of patience inside of you. James chapter 1, verse 2. This is the Living Bible translation. Dear brothers, is your life full of difficulties and temptations? Then be happy. For when the way is rough, that's the scripture, count it all joy when you enter into diverse temptations. For those of you that needed the King James Version. Verse 3, for when the way is rough, your patience has a chance to grow. Hello. Here's verse 4. So let it grow. And don't try to squirm out of your problems. For when your patience is finally in full bloom. You will be ready for anything, strong in character, full and complete. How many of you understand that it is like human nature that when pressure begins to come down on us, we want to squeeze out of pressure? I heard it said one time, adversity will introduce a man to himself. You find out what you're made of under pressure. And if you're made in the image of God, you can stand under pressure. I, I, I love the story of Jesus speaking to Peter, and Jesus says to Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. <laughs> now, a lot of us would have rather Jesus said, but I told him no. Come on now. Come on now. You're standing there, and, and you're Peter listening to Jesus, who's healed the blind man, who has raised the dead, who has healed deaf ears, and he says to you, Satan has desired to sift you. Now you know that Jesus is well able to tell the devil no. But instead, Jesus said, Satan has desired to sift you, but I have prayed for you. I prefer you just say no, but I have prayed for you. That your faith fail not. And when you are converted. What Jesus was telling Peter was you're going to make it. When you are finished. When you are converted. Strengthen the brethren. I've got a word from the Lord for somebody. The prayers of Jesus that he's praying right now. Are more powerful than any sifting the devil can do in your life. 
Jesus didn't tell Peter, I told him no. He said, I prayed for you. And because I prayed for you, you're going to make it. Come on now. Because I prayed for you, you're going to be able to make it. And when you're converted, you're going to have every tool you need to strengthen the brethren. Mm, when patience has had its perfect work, you will be full and complete. Can I tell you, in the process of God, in the destiny of your life, the very worst thing you could do is show up to your destiny unprocessed. Because quite honestly, if some of us stepped into what God was calling us to, we would step into it looking like this. Y'all don't like that. But it's a fact. And, and, and broken leaders replicate broken leaders. And they get in the pulpit and they bleed on the people. They get in leadership and they bleed on the people. Now, there are sometimes in leadership where you get wounded. And it's not because you're a broken mess. It's not because your life's been hard. It's because people, things, storms have come and you've got hurt. But the very first thing, the most important thing you've got to do is submit it to God and get healed. Because if you show up where God has you going like this, you will be ineffective. You'll be ineffective. Because you'll be dealing with all of this. You'll be trying to, to deal with all of this and you can't focus on what God's called you to do. Then there's the flip side that you are being made whole as you're helping people get whole. Leaders aren't perfect. I'm not perfect. I, I'm not, there are some times that I show up to church looking like this. Oh, y'all want, want a perfect leader, don't you? I tell you, and if Pastor Ovid had the mic, he'd tell you the same thing. He's not perfect. There are times you show up feeling like this. But the grace of God comes on you and your submission to God comes on. What does he do? He detests the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Grace to do what? Help people get made whole as you're being made whole. Y'all with me? Uh, so, Patience. And comparing your process to someone else will rob you. You've heard it said, comparison is the thief of joy. How many of y'all heard that? Uh, y'all throw your hand up. Y'all just looking at me like I'm crazy. Comparison is the thief of joy. I've got one for you. It's better than that. It goes deeper. Comparison is the thief of identity. Comparison is the thief of identity. Because what happens? Can I tell you something? This puzzle is not comparing itself to that puzzle. They are who they are supposed to be. They were created the way they were supposed to be created. What, is that, what does that say about our heart toward God to look at somebody else and say, I wish you would have made me like them? What does that say about the way we believe in God? I wish you would have given me that ability. I wish you would have made me preach like that. I wish you could make me lead like that. What you're saying is, God, you didn't do good enough with me. You didn't do, so, and then if you want to get really deep, what you're telling him is, there's a part of your image that's not good enough for me. There's a part of your image that's uglier than the rest, and you gave it to me. But the Bible says that he is perfect in holiness. 
His image is perfect. His ways are perfect. And so when I'm comparing myself to another, I I, I am robbing myself of the God-given abilities he's given me. The God-given assignment he's given me. So number one, the first thief of patience is comparison. The second thief of patience is the pressure of time. Everybody say time. Time. So I mentioned this at the beginning, but when Damaris and I were, you know, home in the evenings and our kids would go to bed, we would do puzzles and we would compete against each other. And, And what I found myself doing, we'd pull out the phone. I mean, and I think these were like 20 piece puzzles. Like we weren't, you know. Trying to get nuts. We tried to do like a a 1,000 piece puzzle. We got about 10 pieces in and we were like, never mind. Let's go watch a movie. (laughs) Bump this stuff. But I remember we set the phone on on the table. I had, I think mine was an Avengers puzzle. Hers was a Lion King puzzle. Same amount of pieces. And I hit go. And I'm doing mine. I'm trying to get it done as quick as I can. I'm looking at the box. I'm trying to figure it out. And what I found myself doing was while I'm trying to, to take care of my pieces, I'm looking at her pieces. And while I'm looking at her pieces, I'm looking at the clock. Because I've got to get more done than she's got done before this clock hits zero. That's why when you hear us say we don't compete, we don't compare, and we don't criticize, you now see it's going to rob you of your effectiveness. I would have been more effective if I would have just focused on my puzzle. If I just would have focused on what God is doing in me. If I would have just focused on how God is forming me. If I would have just focused on how God is renewing me. I would have maybe, I probably wouldn't have, but maybe I would have beat her. But maybe it would have been closer. But because I was busy competing and comparing. You know what happened next? The clock hit zero, and I said, you cheated. (laughs) You had pieces put together before I did. You know what I did? I criticized her. Because I was competing with her and comparing with her, which led to criticizing her. The problem is, we don't believe Jesus is king, so we're trying to put another king in his place. That's the only reason you need competition in the kingdom. The only reason you need competition in the kingdom is if you believe that Jesus is not king enough. Mm -hmm. But because Jesus is king, I don't care how he gets the glory. I don't care if he uses a donkey or if he uses me. He can get the glory out of me for him. Y'all still with me? And, and, and when we give in, can I help you understand something? I would rather be three steps behind God than a half a step in front of him. Ultimately, I'd rather be right in lock with him. But if I had to not be in lock with him, I'd rather be behind him. Then It's like, you know, my wife doesn't do this. My children do. I should say my child, Jocelyn, does this. We'll be walking somewhere, and she'll just be, she'll just be walking around. I mean, just walking. Missed the turn we were supposed to take. I'm standing back there at the turn. She turns around and says, what are we doing? I don't know. You were leading. Where are we going? I don't know. You're leading. If I'm three steps behind God, I could see where he's going. 
But if I'm a half a step in front and I go to pray and say, God, I don't know where I'm going. God, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know. God's like, you're leading. It's your fault, not mine. It's not my fault you don't know where you're going. And when you give in to the pressure of time, let me help you. You can say, God, I'm, I'm getting older. God, I, 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 everyone else is being released. Everybody else seems to be stepping into the destiny. Everybody else seems to be stepping in. And you, you say, you know what? Now is the time. Because everybody else is going, it has to be my time. What you're saying when you step into something because of the pressure of time, what you're telling God is, I trust me more than I trust you. I trust my ability to discern when it's my time more than I trust you to tell me it's time. The pressure of time. Then third thief of patience is the pressure of purpose. Everybody say purpose. Purpose. I want to help you this morning. Everybody has the same purpose. My purpose is not to be a pastor. That's my assignment. My purpose is, is not to sing and to write songs and to build. That's not my purpose. That's my assignment. My purpose and your purpose is to bring glory to the kingdom of God. That's my purpose. Your assignment might be being a business owner, but your purpose is to bring him glory. Your assignment might be to be a teacher of a generation, but your purpose is to bring him glory. Your assignment may be to be a stay-at-home mom, but your purpose is to bring him glory. I'm going to fulfill my purpose in my assignment. One of my assignments is the pastor. I'm going to bring God glory through my assignment of pastoring. But so many times we're searching, God, what's my purpose? God, what's my purpose? Read your Bible to be transformed into the image of his son. To bring glory to the kingdom and to the name of God. That's the purpose of every believer to be transformed. How we do that differs based on the gifts and the talents and the abilities God has given us. That's why I'm telling you, more than ever, we are the body of Christ. The hand cannot say, I wish I was a foot. More than ever, we need people who are unapologetically and authentically who God created them to be. You know why? God will not bless who you pretend to be. God will not cover who you pretend to be. God will not provide for who you pretend to be. He created you to be a specific way, do a specific assignment to bring glory to his name. And when you are convinced that your purpose is not to bring him glory, but to do something else, you will shortcut the work of patience in your life. If you're with me, say I'm there. The third thing, the third thief of, or rather the third part of process is endurance. Everybody say endurance. Hebrews 12 and verse 1, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy who was set before him endured the cross, he endured so that I could endure. Come on. He endured the cross, despised the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
This word endurance means to have perseverance. 2 Timothy 4, 5 said, be watchful in all things and persevere through afflictions. There are some times in life that you want to quit. Y'all ever been there? You want to give up? You've been there. You want to throw in the towel? Been there. But you've got to put your head down and you've got to endure. You've got to put your head down. You've got to push. You've got to shoulder. You see, listen. God does not cause pain. God does not look at you and say, yeah, I'm going to make their, their dad leave. I'm going to make their children be lost. God doesn't do that. It's the work of sin in the earth. But God is the master of using what the devil meant to harm you. To work it out for your good. So, 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 so when you stand here, you know where you're called to. You know your assignment. You know your purpose. You know the process of God. You can look at the full scope of your life and you can say, this is how God used that. This is how God ordained that. Even though I didn't understand it, this is how he used it. This is how he brought me over. This is how he gave me peace. This is how he gave me victory. And then it's the process of God. Then lastly, is the promise of God. Somebody can come help me close. It's the promise of God. Psalm 138 verse 7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. Everybody say revive me. You will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand will save me. The Lord, listen, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hand. Here's four promises of God from this scripture, Psalm 138, concerning the process. Number one, God will rescue me. Has anybody ever been rescued? I'm not just talking about saved. I'm talking about you were saved and sinking, and he rescued you. You were saved and struggling, and he rescued you. Yeah, we can act all perfect in the room. I don't know about anybody. I've been saved and sinking. I've been saved and oppressed in my mind. I've been saved and battled anxiety. And the Lord delivered me out of all of my fears. He will rescue me. He'll rescue me from pain, from worry, from doubt, from insecurities. He rescues me. You know what I found? I found people that aren't obedient because they have haters. Haters. Can I tell you something? That's a, that's a word that's been used for years to talk about people who are against what you're doing. Can I be honest with you? Most people don't have people that are against them. They have insecurities. And they project their insecurities on other people and say, they don't want me to succeed. No, you're having trouble letting God deal with your insecurities. And he rescues me. 
he, he looks at the chaos of my life that we're going to have to clean up in a minute. He looks at the disjointed, disconnected, disfigured chaos of my life. And he reaches down. And he rescues me. He gently puts the pieces back on the table. (laughs) Thank you, Holy Spirit. For some of you that feel like there are some things that have left the table, I heard the Holy Spirit say, I'm putting them back on the table today. Some things you felt like God gave you, things you felt like God put in you, things you felt like were the plan of God that got broken, messed up, jacked up because of life. I heard God say, I'm putting the pieces back on the table again. He rescues me, number one. Number two, the second promise, he fights for me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand will save me. He, he fights for me. Exodus 14, 14, Moses told the children of Israel, he said, God will fight for us. We just need to be still and see the salvation of the Lord. The number three, the promise of God's process, he will finish what he started. Philippians 1 and 6, he said, being confident in this, that he that begun, he that started a good work, will continue to perform it, will continue to work me to this place, will continue to form me till I get to this place. He will continue. He will finish what he started until the day of the Lord. Then the last promise, number four, he will never leave me. Do not forsake the work of your hand. The book of Hebrews said he's with me. What can man do to me? The psalmist said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. My cup runneth over. Surely what? Goodness and mercy will follow me all of the days of my life. What's following me now was not what used to follow you. Some of you, trouble followed you everywhere you went. Decisions in your past followed you everywhere you went. Shame, guilt, condemnation, they followed you everywhere you went. But now in Christ, the only thing following me is goodness and mercy. The only thing I see when I look behind me in my past is goodness and mercy. The only thing I see when I'm looking at the chaos of my life and the broken pieces of my life, the only thing I see is goodness and mercy. And they follow me. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. And thanks to those of you who give so generously to make things like this possible. You can click the link in the description or go to pottershouse.org for more details and to see the exciting things happening here at the church and how you can get involved. We encourage you to share this week's message with your friends and family. We look forward to seeing you next week.